up instead of being here. Uh, and he confessed that sin to me on, at DNA on Wednesday, so I just wanted to publicly call him out for that. Uh, he's going to get so mad at that, but that's okay. Um, so thank you guys for being here. I wasn't here last week, as most of you guys know, but Mike McCord filled in for us, which um, if you haven't listened, go check him out on the podcast. It was fantastic. Um, we loaded up Mike yesterday morning, and him and his family are on their way to Kansas City. Yes. That means nothing. I always say St. Louis, but they're on their way to Kansas City. Um, so make sure you're praying for those guys. I know that's a huge move for them. He told us yesterday they've moved 11 times since they've been married. Um, so at some level, it's nothing new, but uh, they're definitely following after what God has asked them to do. And um, so be praying for them in their journey. But this is not it. Uh, Mike is going to start. We've already started Mission Element. Um, and so he's going to help us lead a mission trip to um, Millersville in November, and then he's also going to help us lead, uh, Lord willing, an international mission trip in May. Uh, so I can't roll out too many details yet because they're not all finalized, but go ahead and start saving your monies because we're going overseas in May. Um, sound fun? Cool. Um, so if you have your Bibles, Matthew 6 is where we're going to land. Um, this time last week, I was literally standing in a river in Colorado fly fishing. It was the most beautiful scene I've ever seen. Uh, see what I did there, scene, scene. There's a little fawn that came up like 10 feet behind me. It was fantastic. But um, while, while I was standing on this river, while y'all were stuck in Georgia, um, I feel like the Lord spoke to me. And, and so this whole morning, we're kind of um, going to go a little side topic to, to address an issue. Um, I think the Lord wants us to plant in Denver. Who wants to go? Anyone in? Seriously? That's, like, I'll move there tomorrow. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah, like basalt. That's kind of where I want to go. Yeah? All right, let's go. Um, no, but seriously, we, were, we had a blast planting, uh, not planting, see, it's already on my mind, we're going to plant in Colorado, it's going to be fantastic. It has nothing to do with the marijuana, that has nothing, no reason, it's the scenery, I promise. Um, so while we were out there, though, it was fantastic, my dad and my brother and I were out there fishing and hanging out in uh, Auburn, New York, uh, had, sorry, had a hard time. <laughs> Auburn, can I just tell a story about you real fast? So here's what just happened that makes me laugh. Is she was hitting her hands, being loud, and then Brighton turns around and she tells Brighton to be quiet. <laughs> when Brighton literally did nothing, he just sat there. Um, so yeah, while we were out there, man, it was just a blast. I'm, I'm 31. That was the first time I'd been to Colorado. So just being able to soak up the memories and enjoy it. Uh, but on the plane ride home, I kind of had this um, weird, not epiphany, but just this anxiousness that was created in me because I want my kids to experience Colorado. I want to get them out there and see all that's taking place. And so I'm literally, I'm like researching how much can I sell my plasma for, which is like 400 bucks a month is what you get for selling plasma, just if anyone's interested. Um, you could do it twice a week uh, for a month and all that totaled up together is about 400 bucks. If anyone's looking for a cool part-time job, we can commute to Gainesville together. But um, how much debt would be appropriate to get into to take my family out to Colorado because this was this fantastic trip. And, and so so all the while, I just catch myself getting more and more anxious and worked up about how possible can I get my family out there? Because for whatever reason, we thought it was a smart idea to have four kids, uh, but that just is so expensive. Um, so if, if y'all want some of them, 
Talk to me after, um, because we can maybe afford to take one or two, but not all four. So you can take the other two. Um, so as I was getting like all this thought process going, I just caught myself getting more and more anxious. And um, I typically don't struggle with anxiety, but someone told me one time that like being anxious or having this anxiety feeling coming over you is like you you know the truth. The truth is simple in front of you, but the more you work your it up in your mind, like walls start being developed and start growing. And even though like you see the truth and you know where it's at, these walls start to get taller and taller and taller until you literally cannot understand what the simple truth is anymore. So you know it and you can see it, but as these walls start growing, and so I'm on this airplane, the walls just kept growing to where um, I was knowing the truth, but I kept forgetting it as the walls are growing, that I'm not responsible for the joy of my children. The Lord is, right? Like, I'm not responsible. Yes, at some level, I'm responsible uh, to raise them as they should go, but but at the end of the day, like, the, the Lord is their joy. The Lord is their strength. Um, everything that we have comes from the Lord. So, so getting ready for this sermon, honestly, was, was not very fun because I felt like I was living this duplicitous life of this morning. We're supposed to be talking about the discipline of simplicity, uh, but all I wanted this last week was complexity. All I wanted to do was just forget everything the Bible says. Let's go into a ton of debt and let's go to Colorado this week. And I'd get like Rob or someone to preach. And we would go back to Colorado and just live there and enjoy it. But that is not biblically what we see. So, so we've seen over this past summer, we, we've taken a break from going through the book of Luke. And we're just going through different spiritual disciplines. And so this week we're going to hit and highlight the idea of simplicity. What does it really mean to live a simple life? And here's just, just so we can all kind of get on the same page. Here's the definition of simplicity. The quality or condition of being plain or natural. The quality or condition of being plain or natural. So what is the plain and natural way of Christianity that literally trumps everything else? What is this one truth about the gospel that if we live out, if we live this simplistic, simplistic, yep, um, ness, uh, simplisticness life, is that a word? Nope, but that's my kid. Um, if we just live this simple life based on this one truth of Scripture, then, then our whole life will make more sense. So Matthew 6, 25 through 33 is where we're going to land to hopefully understand this truth of what does the discipline of simplicity look like. Matthew 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. If you're underlined, underline verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let me read that one more time. But seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we can see just really quickly how um, complicated life can get, right? We start worrying about this, we start worrying about that, the clothes, about what are we going to eat, where are we going to live, what are we going to do, where are we going to get money? And, and so, so quickly does the simplistic gospel that, that God opens up for us through Christ starts to get convoluted. And I know, like, I, I feel this. I'm not saying that this is not some, um, like, oh, just grow up. It's not a big deal. No, we feel the pressure. Um, we feel when we don't have enough money. We feel when we feel like our clothes don't add up. We feel deeply um, when we don't think that we're living the life that we're supposed to. We, we understand this. That's why debt is so prevalent. That's why um, comparison is toxic. We, we feel this. And so as Jesus is working through Matthew 6. He see that our life, that what we eat, what we drink, our bodies, our clothes, that we, we know this. And he drops the bomb in verse 33 of why we are so um, convoluted through this. That the central point for his, this discipline of simplicity is to seek first the kingdom of God. I mean, that's it. How do we live a simple life pursuing after the gospel? Is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the simple truth that if we follow and wrap all of our lives around, that we're going to walk in this simplistic life that God has called us to live. So, so what does this really mean then? I mean, this sounds beautiful. This sounds easy. Yeah, sure, seek first the kingdom of God. So, so I have to do a little bit of... Um, framework for us just to make sure we're all on the same page because what I, what I don't want to do is uh, to guilt trip anyone, to make anyone feel guilty. What I do want to do is let scripture kind of prod us into what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God. So, so if you can just imagine a spectrum. Over here we've got um, materialism, right? That everything is just beautiful and you just have to get more and more and more and name brands matter and what you drive matters and where you live matters and all this that you want people to notice you. So we could all easily say, like, that is not seeking first the kingdom of God. That is seeking first yourself. You want to be important. You want to be looked upon. You want to be loved for what you have and what you do, not who you are in Christ. So we could all kind of see this standpoint. But over here on the other side, you see guys like Gandhi, the, the asceticism where, where we want to just take everything away, that we're going to naturally give everything away. We're going to live in rags. We're going to live poor um, simply because we want to show God how much we love him. And on the same spectrum, materialism is a sin. This is a sin because what we're doing is we're trying to prove our love for God by what we do and how we act and what we wear or don't wear. So what I'm not asking you to do is to go home today and sell everything you own. What I'm not asking you is to go home today and buy anything you want. What we're trying to figure out is what is the middle ground here? What is God actually asking us to do? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? And this is where it starts to get really interesting. And this is where I just wanted to make sure everyone's with me because I don't want us to get wrapped up in the extremes. But does some of you need to go home today and sell some things and get rid of some things? Yes. But one thing for one person might not be the same thing for another person. This is where it gets really gray. I mean, I love the idea we talked a couple weeks ago, I preached on fasting. Fasting is very cut and dry. This is what you do. This is how you do it. This is why you do it. But when we start to getting into seek first the kingdom of God and what that fleshes itself out to be, that's only something you can answer. And that's straight between you and the Lord. It's not about, well, this person has more possessions than that person, so we need to just even everything out. 
Everyone in this room is only allowed uh, $10,000 worth of assets. Go. Some of you are like, man, give me some of that. Like, I, I want that. Right? But that's not, we can't make this a crystal clear scale. What does it look like for us to seek first the kingdom of God without having these two extremes, without having materialism and without having the asceticism? Is that the right way to say it? Yep. That's the scale that we're trying to get into. And in the middle, one, one theologian calls it the divine sinner, which I just love. The divine sinner. What is a divine sinner for all of us to where we're not worried about materialism and we're not worried about um, showing God how much we love, the, love him by getting rid of everything, but there's a divine sinner of seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and there's a lot of rebranding that has to go on here. So we'll, we'll kind of get into that. But one of the things Mike said last week, which I just thought was a beautiful imagery of all this, is that none of these disciplines are possible by ourselves, right? I mean, the point of these disciplines isn't that we should do all these disciplines so that God would love us more. But the point of these disciplines is that we want to know God so much deeper. We want to walk in communion with him. And the only way that we can do that is by him and through him. So, so to understand the idea of simplicity, we first need to go inward and, and see what this really looks like. So here's just a couple things. What does simplistic life really look like through the gospel? The first is to not seek the kingdom of God first. Oh, sorry. Let me take a step back. First thing we need to see about the kingdom of God is to not seek it first, is to not seek it at all. So we have to understand this, that when we're talking about simplistic life means um, to seek the gospel, right? To pursue after the gospel, to seek first the kingdom of God. But what we have to understand is if it's second place or third place or fourth place, it's in the last place. That if this isn't primary truth in our life, then it's not a truth at all. Matthew 22 puts it perfectly. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the great and first commandment. So this is first. This is primary. So when we talk about what does it look like to live a life of simplicity, to seek after the gospel first and primary is where all of this starts. And it cannot be secondary. It has to be primary. The second, as we talk about um, what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God, is to understand that what we receive is a gift from God. And we, we talk about this all the time, I think especially because where we are in um, a transient kind of stage where college students are coming through and you've worked your tail off to get this job. And so when you get to graduate, when you get all this job and you actually start to get an income and buy the things that you want, the natural progression for us is to think, well, I did this. Well, I earned this degree. I worked my tail off. I studied. I'm in a career now. So I, this is because of me. This is what I've done. And at some level, yes, work like everything depends on you. But where did that skill set even come from? How are you able to live in America where you could afford college, whether through your parents or through student loans? I mean, when you start working this thing out, it's not because of you. That everything you have is simply a gift of God. But the opposite is the same. What you don't have is also a gift from God. I don't like that one, if I can just be honest, right? Like I can understand, yes, everything I have is straight a gift from God, so how do I understand to live this simplistic life through the gospel, to understand that everything I possess right now is because God in his rich grace for us has given this to us. But what I don't like is the opposite side, that what we don't have right now is also a gift from God. We have to understand, we have to wrap our minds around this truth that if, that if God is a good, loving Father that wants us to live a life of knowing Him, 
then what he hasn't given us would ultimately lead us away from him and not to him. That's why he hasn't given it to us. That's what a good father looks like. The, other, the third reason to understand and know um, how to seek first the kingdom of God is to know that we can literally take nothing with us when we die. Now, I think this is just such a cliche that we all understand and we all, well, there's no luggage rack on our hearse, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Um, but man, like how much do we really honestly and genuinely wrestle with this truth? That there will come a day when everything we own will end up in a yard sale or in a burn pile. Everything. These possessions that we've worked so hard for, that we've spent so much money on, that we've done, it's all going to burn. Or it's going to be sold for like 50 cents. And it's going to make you cry a little bit. Because that, that one item meant so much to you and it's literally selling for 50 cents on eBay. So what does this mean then? Matthew 6, 34, the, the last verse in this passage. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about what this possession, what this thing is going to look like tomorrow, because tomorrow might not come. I don't, for the risk of sounding crazy morbid, tomorrow might not come for any of us in this room. So when we just stop and we think about that and all these fears and worries and anxieties that we have because we're not seeking first the kingdom of God, we're seeking first our kingdom, for what reason? For a day that might not actually come. And the last thing we have to see when we understand the inward struggle of the life of simplicity is that to have our goods available to others. That if we understand first that, that nothing is ours, it's all a gift from God, we understand that, that it's all going to go into the trash heap one day, then the last natural thing that we need to understand is, if it's not ours and if it's all going to burn, then why don't we share some of these resources with one another? Right? Now, I'm not like, are you talking about socialism? Like, well, no, I'm talking about the Bible. That's Luke 6 says it perfectly. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I, mean, I think this is one of these key ideas that if we understand the simplicity of the gospel, the church should look radically different than anything else because we're constantly giving and giving and giving wherever we can. I mean, that's, I love some of these people in this church. I mean, I love all of you, but, but some of you guys have just got to know, and the generosity is fantastic, that you guys have specifically made purchases and done things so that you can be more generous with your time, talents, and your energies. I mean, that's the sole purpose of why you've done what you've done. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. So that's where it gets itchy, where I can't say, well, you cannot own this much property. You cannot own this nice of a car. You cannot own this... Because if we're doing this for the idea that we seek first the kingdom of God, God wants us to do this so that we can be a blessing to others. That is the joy that comes in seeking first the kingdom of God. But for others of us, it's going to look like moving to a third world country and having nothing. For others of us, it's going to look like going home today and, and wrestling with what then do we need to give away. It's not so cut and dry. It's only between you and the Lord and are you honestly seeking first the kingdom of God. So I was giving my brother a hard time on the trip because he doesn't think I have a real job, which is fine because sometimes I don't. Um, and so I said, hey, like, you know what I do for my job? I watch Netflix. Anyone else get to watch Netflix for their job? No, well, I do. So um, there's a Netflix documentary, which I would challenge all you guys to watch. It's really fascinating, called The Minimalist. Has anyone heard of this? 
So <clears throat> there's these two guys basically that climbed the corporate ladder. They'd done all this stuff. And, and once they reached it where everyone said, once you get here, you'll be satisfied. Guess what? They weren't satisfied. And one of the guys went on to say that the whole, his whole job was learning how to market selling cell phones to five-year-olds. He's like, this is like, this cannot be what I do for the rest of my life is try to figure out how to get cell phones in the hands of five-year-olds. Now, granted, this guy was making a six-figure salary. He had worked his way up through his company, but where has this gotten him to figure out how to sell cell phones to five-year-olds? So they were miserable. So their answer to all this is, let's become minimalist. We've climbed the ladder. We've got to this point where everyone told us this would be where happiness and joy comes from. And now that we're here, it's not here, so that joy must not be in this items. It must not be in having all of this. And, and so just some of the things that these guys were saying just um, spoke volumes to me as preparing for this sermon. Um, one of them is that we check our phones over 150 times a day. Okay, now I'm going to just be this guy for a second. Do we read our Bibles 150 times a day? Like, so when we're honestly talking about seeking first the kingdom of God, we're checking our phones 150 times a day, but I know most of the people I run with have a hard time reading our Bible once a day. So, so where are we on this spectrum? Another thing is that we have three times as much space in our homes as we did in 1950. Three times as much, three times bigger homes than, than we did in 1950. And even with that, that we only use on a good day 40% of our homes. I mean, just something that my wife can attest to just drives me crazy, and I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. But right now, as a 31-year-old, I have a bigger home than what both my grandparents died in. And that's just, there's just something in that that, like, my grandparents worked their entire life to have this house, and now as a 31-year-old, I have a house that's bigger than that. Now, I don't, I, that's just between me and the Lord. We've got to wrestle with that. Brie and I was like, well, let's just move into the camper. So maybe this time next year, we'll be living in a camper by the river, and there's that. But who knows? Like, it just drives me, no? Okay. <laughs> drives me crazy. And again, this is where I'm not telling you, you can't have this. I'm saying, if I seek first the kingdom of God, why does this make me uneasy? That there's a $2.2 billion storage industry right now. $2.2 billion storage industry. So when these homes are three times bigger than what they were in 1950s, that's still not enough to store all of our crap. So there's a $2.2 billion storage industry so we can put things into storage. We were exposed to an average of 5,000 ads a day. And what are they promoting? If you simply do this, you will be happy. If you simply do this, buy this product, go this way, then happiness will find you. And here's these guys going, listen, we did all of that and happiness never found us. One of the quotes that just drives me crazy, I love this actor, but I hate this quote. Um, Jim Carrey says that, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could realize that it's not the answer. Try me, Jim Carrey, right? I would just, just let me be you for like a year and I'll prove to you that I can be happy with all of your money, right? No? Just me? Thanks. Okay. So this, this point here, though, and this is where it starts to get disconnected because these guys are kind of walking over on this side of the spectrum that we don't need anything to be happy, that happiness is found within ourselves, satisfaction is found within ourselves. So if we can't justify why we have what we have, then we're not going to have it. I think one of these guys had eight shirts and one pair of jeans. That was it. Um, there's this thing called uh, three by three by three, where it's basically like you can only wear... Um, one piece of clothing for like, you have to wear it for three days in a row. 
and then you move on to the next one, you move on to the next one, just to prove to ourselves that we really don't need this much clothes. But all of this is operating to what ends? That their ideology here falls apart because they're putting stock in themselves, that they can prove satisfaction, that they can prove happiness. So the logic that they had when they went to this side, when they were making six figures in a New York corner office, this didn't bring satisfaction. What they're going to quickly find out is just because you don't have anything now, that's not going to bring satisfaction either. That if we don't seek first the kingdom of God, there's going to be no satisfaction for us. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for it, Minimalist 2.0 to come out on Netflix where they say, hey, we did all this and we still weren't satisfied, that we still weren't happy. Because joy is not found in having stuff or not having stuff. It's found in seeking first the kingdom of God. And this is where it just starts to get a little uncomfortable for me because I want to I urge you, remind you of something. If you haven't read it over this week, read the book of Job. Because here's what the book of Job is going to show you. That if we don't seek the first the kingdom of God, then if God is a loving father, he's going to help us in that process. So Job, if you understand the story of Job, if you haven't, please, I don't have a ton of time here, but please go home and read it. Um, Job had everything. He had all these great possessions. He had wonderful kids, wonderful family. Um, he was a who's who among those around him. He was a good, honorable, God-fearing man. But was he being satisfied in God or was he being satisfied in his stuff? And so through this process, by Satan uh, pursuing God, saying, listen, let me, let me have Job for a little while, everything gets ripped away from Job. His land, his family. The only thing that couldn't take place is Job's death. But even his health. I mean, it talks about getting, has boils all over him that he sits next to the fire and just scraping them off, excruciating pain. And if you read Job chapter 3, he starts to lament the fact that he was even born. Why? Because when everything was taken away from Job, he was no longer satisfied. And the rest of Job is God showing him, wasn't I the creator of this? Job, didn't I bless you with all of this? Didn't, aren't I the one that created this, that gave you this? Look around you. This isn't you, Job. This is me. And this whole story of Job is about Job coming to this one truth that seek first God and everything else will be added to him. Don't seek yourself. And so when you start to read through this, I mean, it's just cringeworthy at moments because how could, how could God let this happen to Job? How could Job go through this? But when the end of Job hits, it's the best thing that ever happened to Job. His entire life was turned around because he understood what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God, not his own possessions. And everything that Job lost was given back to him twofold. So, so here's my plea. Here's where I start to get a little maybe antsy. Because I think if some of us don't um, seek first the kingdom of God to repent from our sins and to start walking after that, um, God in his love, in his grace is going to lead you to that point. He's going to start taking things away from you until you realize that the gospel, the simplisticness of the gospel, isn't how much you own or what you drive or what you possess, but it's found only in seeking first the kingdom of God. And the good measure, the good grace of God, is him to start removing some of these things so that you can see that truth. Because only joy is found in that satisfaction. So here, here's kind of maybe where, I know we've talked to a lot of theoretical stuff. Maybe, maybe for the ending, we can get some boots on the ground. Here's just a couple things that we can wrestle with. So what does it practically look like to seek first the kingdom of God? I think the first one is this. Uh, buy things that are useful, not for their status. To buy things that are useful, not for their status. I mean, seriously consider, why am I making this purchase? 
Do I need to do I need this right now, or is this just a status thing? Number two, and this is where, uh, yeah, I, 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 this this point has been a little hard for me to be honest. Reject anything that is producing addiction in you. Refuse anything. Now, now let me just take a step back because we have to understand the culture that we live in. The culture has rebranded simplicity so much so that it is normative to have all these things to do all this stuff. So, so I know that as we're going through this doctrine or this discipline of simplicity that we are um, waging war with everything that's around us. But we have to be very careful that if anything is producing addiction in us, and here's, here, I'll just go back to the statistic earlier. If we check our phone 150 times a day, I'm pretty sure we're addicted to it. If you do anything 150 times a day, you're probably addicted to it. So what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? It looks like we're going to have to start putting some other things down. That the culture would say is normative, that, that you don't have to do that. That's what makes sense. <clears throat> The, the third idea as we start talking about what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God is develop a habit of giving things away. And I don't just mean things that are junk to you. I mean, give things away that like it hurts a little bit. I mean, just, just go back to that statistic earlier. If we only use 40% of our house, what if we just started giving things away and the other 60%? What if we gave children away? Just making sure you're with me, Right? Um, another thing, and, and this is, man, I'm, I am hook, line, sinker on this. Refuse to be trapped in the new thing gadget trap. Anyone else? I mean, for all that is Apple, they have mastered this. They will tell you, you will not want anything new and you see a commercial and you're like, oh man, I want that. I mean, the, the way that they, and I don't know, I'm, and this has to be a lawsuit if anyone wants to get in with me, we'll, we'll make all this money and then give it away, of course. But um, there's got to be something in Apple products that start dying as soon as something else comes out, right? I mean, just the way that they make, like, these new advertisements come out. Uh, one of the things I'm still frustrated, I bought into, and I'm like, why did I buy into this? What's wrong with a headphone jack? Why did we have to get rid of the glorious headphone jack? But when they make the commercial, they're like, oh, yeah, forget headphone jacks, Apple, and then, yeah. So, so as we go on to this, don't buy into, because there's so much technology coming out so fast. Refuse to get into this trap of technology. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. And this is where it's, it's not so cut and dry, Right? Because there's some of us that have seek first the kingdom of God and God has chosen to bless us. He did it with Job. He does it all throughout scripture. There's some of us that have seek first the kingdom of God and for whatever reason, God didn't bless us to that measure, but he's still good. He's still gracious. And that's what develops community. What if we were really dependent on one another that we can use and enjoy without having to own, that we can walk through life together with those around us that you don't have to own this one thing or there's two things to bring satisfaction when every single one of your neighbors owns this. What would that look like for us to realize, man, I'm just going to go ask my neighbor, I'm going to go ask my friend for this because they do. Develop a deeper appreciation for the creation. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here. Um, we live in Dahlonega. I mean, we have the Appalachian Trail going right through the center of our town. There's beautiful mountains everywhere 
And when we get to those moments, when we get wrapped up with the river, say, the river scene or the mountain scene, then it starts to make everything else fall away because no matter what picture you take with the greatest phone that you own, it's never gonna be anything compared to seeing it live and what God has actually done. Seek first that creator, that creation, not the ones that we make. Uh, or maybe another one, look, look with a healthy skepticism of a buy now, pay later idea. Watch out debt. Now I know for some of us, I mean, debt is just natural. There's some things that we have to incur debt with. But as we walk into debt, let's make sure that we're truly pursuing, are we seeking first the kingdom of God in this? Are we doing this because God has asked us to, he's led us to this point? Are we just trying to keep up with the Joneses? Are there any Joneses here? Nope. Uh, Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. Uh, I think, I mean, one of the, back, I don't know, three, four years ago when I was working at Starbucks, we first started the church, um, they were, big thing at that time for Starbucks was they were serving fair trade coffee. And I had never really heard of that term, what is fair trade coffee? And, and so they said, oh, like, everything's fair. So, like, we're paying these guys what they deserve and we're getting the coffee. And it's like, everyone's winning out of this. And I just remember going, and that's new? Like, like, we should celebrate the fact that we're not oppressing others so that we can get our $2 latte. $2 latte, that's funny. $6 latte, how about that, right? So as we're pursuing things, as we're purchasing things, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, that purchase cannot lead to the oppression of others around the world. That should be a normative thing for us. And the last one is to refuse anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. And so we, this morning, as we're getting ready to take communion, uh, here's just the challenge for us. What is hindering us from simplicity, from simply seeking first the kingdom of God? What, what is hindering us from that? What, what does it look like for you as an individual? What does it look like for you as you lead your family? Because we see this, I mean, we see this modeled out perfectly that Jesus came and t- for him to seek first the kingdom of God meant what? that he got up on that cross, right? That he had nails driven through his hands and his feet. You think he signed up for that? You think that's what he was longing for? I cannot wait till I die. No, but for him, seeking first the kingdom of God looked like he was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So as we're taking communion, the joy of this, and we see this throughout, throughout Scripture, is that we have an empathetic high priest. That he's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done first on our behalf. So as we take communion this morning, as we see the ultimate model of Jesus and his simplistic gospel, seeking first the kingdom of God, of being obedient to death, death on the cross, what is God asking us to do? Where are we not living simplistic? Where are the walls built around us? Where have things got confusing for us? We're forgetting the first ultimate truth, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So for some of us, this is, this is gonna, the implications are going to be drastic. It means we're going to have to do something massive to ship our way back to seeking first the kingdom of God. For some of us, man, you guys are mature and you're pursuing it and you're doing it and praise God for that. But what is it as we take communion, as we remember the example God has set for us of seeking first the kingdom of God, what is it that is hindering and that's holding us back from that? And what do we intend to do about that? So as we pray, let's take communion and just wrestle through this truth together. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for the richness of your grace. 
Thank you for even being such a good God, such a good Father that, that you allow us to seek after you. That you're true and genuine Father that, that wants to know us and wants to be known. And so Father, would you forgive us that we have exchanged the truth of you and your love and your grace for a lie. That we don't believe that ultimate satisfaction comes from seeking after you. That we are so blinded by our possessions and by our things and our trinkets that we just keep waiting till once we get here, we'll be satisfied. Once we get here, we'll be satisfied. Once we make this purchase, pay off this debt, once we uh, have this going on, then, then we'll be simply satisfied. And we know that's not the truth. So Father, this morning, what is it in us that is hindering us from seeking first your grace, your love, your kingdom? Jesus, and, and, and I know and, and we know that, God, it, it's this hard. This is a hard process for us to wrestle and wrap our minds around. That if we're all being honest, that there's moments we don't believe that you are better than our things. So, Father, would you woo us? Would you draw us packed by your grace? Would you remind us how good of a God you are, how good of a Father you are? That anything that we can see, that anything that we can own, that anything we can possess pales in comparison to you and your grace and your love. So God, as a church this morning, we wrestle with what is keeping us back from seeking first your kingdom. God, because we want to know you. We desperately want to see your face. We want to have such deep, rich community with you that we hear your voice constantly. So Jesus, what, what is it? Church, as we take communion this morning, that, that is the truth that we wrestle with. What does it mean for us to seek first the kingdom of God? What does it look like for us to embrace the discipline of simplicity? To live simple lives pursuing the truth of the gospel. Everything that we have, everything that we are, seeking first the kingdom of God. So as we take communion this morning, just pray and just listen. So we'll leave this moment for a, a few minutes as you can take communion and, and pray and listen and we'll dive back into worship.